0: Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. We've been in the sermon series around Straight to the Heart, God in this life, wellsprings of life, and it's been an incredible series, and we're in week four. Of the sermon series. And so I want to kick off by uh, sharing another highlight from the mission. So at the end of mission on the Monday, just before we come home, we get given the opportunity to go to the Cape Coast Castle. Now, this is not the Cape of Cape Town, it's not that kind of Cape, it's a very different Cape. There's no high mountains, Um, but there is a castle there. And this was the British castle that was dedicated, built solely for the purpose of the sale of slaves. And so we spent an afternoon there, and it is a moving experience. So I want to just take you a little bit down, because it sort of sets us up really well for where we go in this morning in terms of our sermon. So if you were a slave, if you were, if you were captured and bound to become a slave, uh, you would be bound, you would be led to this castle. And once you arrive at this castle, you'll be led up a small flight of stairs and into an, or a room, quite a big room. In this room would be representatives of businesses abroad. And those individuals then would auction, would bid for you. Uh, The going um, dollar rate of today's dollar rate of a slave back then is in the region of $60,000 to $186,000 for a slave. So the average works out to $125,000 per slave. Once you were bought, that company would then brand you Uh, Like, you know, we brand cattle, they would brand you on your chest with that company's logo, determining that you are no longer yourself, you belong to that company. You would then be led down a flight of stairs into what they call now a dungeon. The dungeon uh, had five sort of compartments, if you want to call it, inside this dungeon. It's about the size of the stage, maybe a little bit to the front row, um, about as high as this, if you can imagine, around half-circle. Um, cold walls of stone. At the back were three sort of windows about this size that would allow light to come in. That would be the only light you have. Each of these, there were five of them underneath in the dungeon. And each of these would house about 200 men that were then sold into slavery. There is no running water. There's no ablutions. And in each of these are 200 men. So on average there's a thousand men um, in this dungeon. Uh, Just to give you perspective, there's less than 300 people in the auditorium, so, and this auditorium is big compared to those things, and you would spend uh, anything between a minimum of three weeks to three months in this dungeon, waiting for the ship to arrive to take you to wherever you need to be taken. Once your ship arrives, you would be led through a passage, um, sort of a half-circle passage with a hole at the top where somebody would count you to make sure they made the maths correctly, and then you would walk out of a door that they've labeled now the point of no return. That when you step through those doors, you are not coming back to your family. You are not coming back to the African continent. You are now going to get onto the ship. And that, that ship voyage was in of itself was a terrible experience. And 200 men would be put onto that ship. There were also 300 women that were kept in separate cells uh, on that island. And the idea of selling women into slavery was that if you could breed slaves, you wouldn't have to pay for them. And so you get on that ship and you'd never be seen again. Interestingly enough, the vast majority of slaves out of that castle made their way to Brazil. It's estimated that there were five million people that walked through those doors that myself and Cy and Grace and, and me, he walked through. Really emotional moment uh, for us. Particularly because of the color of my skin and the color of Sai's skin that could have caused a really difficult conversation between ourselves. And so, as we turned around and walked back in, I was grateful that God is able to take something that is meant to divide, something that meant to distort what we mean to be, to bring us together. And so, I come back from that terrible place, even more convinced about my mission and commitment to building bridges wherever we go. At the end, at the end of the tour, Pastor Lord, uh, the senior pastor at Accra in, in Ghana, uh, sort of debriefed the moment, we spent time repenting, forgiving, and, and, and he shared this. He, he shared this that we must not forget that if it not for God, we are capable of tremendous evil as human beings. And he reminded us that, you know, often we go and visit these places and we say things like, oh, I could never do that. Oh, that's beyond me. He reminded us that day that that is very much within our capability. Every one of us can be evil like that, but for the grace of God and for the boundaries that God has put in place in terms of how we relate with one another. And if God didn't do that, we would treat each other really badly. The other thing that stood out on this uh, castle is above the first chamber where 200 men would stand would be a church. There would be Sunday services held Above these people enslaved. Interestingly enough, that church became a church planting church. They planted many churches in the community. Lord, help us that we do not worship in vain or doing things that are not pleasing to God. And so, that is the trip to the, the this, this trip that we had, and a reminder that we need boundaries in our lives so that we don't treat each other awfully. Now, when I speak about boundaries, I don't know what images come into your mind. Um, Maybe it's a a wall that comes into mind. Maybe you grew up and you had, you know, that rickety fence that was between you and your neighbor when you grew up. Um, Maybe it it reminds you of castles with those big moats and a big drawbridge that comes out. Maybe that comes to mind. Uh, maybe some of you thinking, I know a boundary when I'm mowing the lawn and I come to the end of my boundary, I stop and I mow the lawn the other way. I make sure I mow my lawn, I don't go beyond what's not my lawn, right? So maybe lawned, mowed lawns are, are what reminds you. Uh, for me, um, I, when I think of boundaries, I think of Hyde Park and the magnificent boundaries that are around those properties. And uh, sometimes we do immersions in that community. And there's one particular house that has a boundary upon a boundary upon a boundary, which makes me think what you're hiding behind the boundary. But nevertheless, that's for another sermon and another time, right? Um, Boundaries are significant in terms of, have you ever done this? I don't know if any of you have done this. You draw a line in the sand. That's a boundary. Cross that line. You hope they don't cross the line, but you've been brave, right? (laughs) Don't cross the line, right? So that's a, you draw the line in the sand is a boundary. Uh, Boundaries are the start of things and the end of things, right? Uh, Think of a running race. On your marks, get set, go. The boundary, you start. You're going to the boundary towards the end. Um, In this castle, when slavery was abolished, the governor of the time built a wall at the start of the tunnel, at the end of the tunnel, to signify the end of formal trade in human beings. And so that was a, a physical wall that tells us that that has ended and those walls have been closed for hundreds of years and praise God for the end of that. When you think of boundaries, you might think of uh, intimacy, you might think of people being selfish. That person's so selfish, like they've got so many boundaries, like I can't feel free around them. The concept of boundaries is something that sits within God himself. He has boundaries. He's put boundaries up around who he is and how he shows up in life he's separate from us and him he makes it very clear that i am not him and he is not me we are very different in the way we engage with stuff god takes responsibility for how he defines who he is he says i am this i am not that i am light i am not dark i am love i am this i am that we are very aware of what god is and what is not right so those are clear boundaries and that then helps us understand how we engage with him he defines himself separate from any other i'm like no other god I am holy, Um, and he's very clear about who he is and what he isn't, right? Uh, Within the Trinity, there are boundaries. There's the Holy Spirit, there's Jesus, the Son, and the Father, all with separate responsibilities. Jesus doesn't do what the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit doesn't do what the Father does. In fact, Jesus doesn't do anything unless the Father tells him to do that, which tells us very clearly they have boundaries and they don't step into each other's spaces. It's a loving, beautiful example of how boundaries can work. And then God is very specific about what he allows into his presence and what he doesn't allow into his presence. If you think of God owning a piece of property, he's very clear about what is allowed in his yard and what's not allowed in his yard. No sin, no hatred is allowed in that presence. And if it wasn't for the work of Jesus, me and you would not be able to partake in the presence of worship this morning because of the work that he'd done. Because Jesus, God, is very clear about what he allows in and what he doesn't allow in. So God is, um, boundaries are sort of caught up into who God is and how He operates. So I want to unpack three things for us today. The first one is, what are healthy relationship boundaries? Secondly, why are boundaries important? And thirdly, uh, boundaries um, does not mean isolation. Boundaries do not mean that you become an island of yourself. And so what are healthy Boundaries. How I want to be So the scripture, of my reading this morning, um, isn't specifically related to relationships, but there are strong principles that we can pull through around that. And so I'm reading from judges 13 verses three to 14. This morning, And it's the story of Samson. We're going to touch it on a whole bunch of things around Samson. But this is just before Samson is born. His mother is working in the field, and we pick it up from verse 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Although you are unable to conceive and have no children, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now be careful not to drink wine or beer or eat anything unclean, for indeed... You will conceive and give birth to a son. You must never cut his hair, because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth, and he will begin to save the Israelites from the power of the Philistines. Then the woman went and told her husband, A man of God came to me. He looked like an awe-inspiring angel of God. I did not ask him where he came from, and he did not tell me his name." He said to me, you will conceive and give birth to a son, therefore do not drink wine or beer, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite from birth until death. Manoma, Manoma, Samson's son, uh, Samson's father, should I say, prayed to the Lord, please Lord, man of God, send me again, send him again to us, so he can teach us how we should, how do how the boy should be brought up or will be born. Like how should we bring up this young boy? God listened to Samson's father, and the angel came again to the woman, and said, sitting in the field, to her husband was and her husband wasn't with him. The man, the woman ran quickly to her husband and told her, the man who came to me the other day is back. And so, the, so Manama got up and followed his wife, and when he came, when they came to the man, he asked. Are you the man who spoke to my wife? I am, he said. And Samson's father asked, when, when your words come true, what will the boy's responsibilities and work be? The angel of the Lord said to Samson's father, Your wife needs to do everything I told her. She must not eat anything that comes from a grapevine or drink wine or beer. She must not eat anything unclean. Your wife must do everything I have commanded her. It's the reading of the word. Now, from Samson's birth, it's very clear that he had lots and lots and lots of boundaries put in place for him. So not only was he a Jew and had to adhere to all the Jewish customs, on top of that, he was a Nazarite for his whole life. In fact, some people say that Nazarites weren't committed for their whole life. It was a period of their lives that they were committed in that area. But Samson was committed all his life to be a Nazarite. And so, not only did he have, so he, can you see that he had lots of boundaries in his life? In the scripture that we're reading, his parents speak to God over and over again and say, Are you like, they almost say, like, Are you sure I can't drink any wine? Are you sure we're not supposed to cut his hair? Like they do this. Verse 4, verse 5, verse 7, verse 8, verse 12, verse 14. It gets reinforced that Samson has particular boundaries in his life in terms of how he should live. And so taking that, me and you have particular boundaries around how we should relate with one another. Just like Samson had, there are boundaries that are in place for us. Um, So I don't know if you have a neighbor that has a big tree that grows, and every time that tree extends its branches over into your property, and it has beautiful fruit, and then that fruit drops into your garden and rots on your grass. Do you have those kind of neighbors? I am one of them. That's me. My tree was growing into my neighbor's yard, and so my neighbor asked me to cut my tree. My neighbor didn't jump over the wall and start cutting my trees. He's not allowed to do that, right? And so there are clear boundaries. And so my neighbor let me know very nicely and politely, that fruit is mine, and I need to take responsibility for my fruit. He's not going to... And so I had to cut the tree and look after it, right? And so if we think about boundaries around what is mine... What is yours? And so we're going to talk about how we can go through this. So if you want to know more about these boundaries, Dr. Henry Cloud has a lot of work written on this, and I've taken some of this Yes, So I'm going to go through some quick, uh, some high-level boundaries that we are aware of. Now, the first one was like, you know when you're preparing, you read reading, you go, duh, I should have seen that before, but I would never have spoken about it unless I did some research, is a skin boundary. Like our skin is a clear boundary between who I am and who Gregory is, he's not me, I am not him, and one clear way to figure that out is that I'm not living inside his skin, praise the Lord, and he's not living inside of my skin, right? And so, skin is a clear definer that we're not the same kind of people. It physically separates one another, and we can engage with each other around that. Our skin. Houses our organs, houses our spirit, houses our soul. It houses everything about who I am, how I show up is inside of the skin. And so it's a really powerful way of saying, this is who I am. When I think about that story of the slaves, once they were sold, what was the first thing that was defiled? What was the first thing that was broken down? It was their skin. It was that stamp, it was it's not even a stamp, it was that, that scaring burn mark on them to remind them that they no longer their own. Their identity was ripped from them and it was on their skin. If I think about the work of the cross, how Jesus was bruised and broken for me and you, and so his body was broken for us, that skin was broken for us so that we could enter in. And so the skin becomes a really powerful metaphor for around boundaries and how boundaries work. And so um, we tattoo our skin, right? And that tattoo has a message that we share with the world. When our kids were young, we've told them that their body is their body. They need to be custodians of their body. So we chose not to pierce Jenna's ears and said, her ears are hers. If she wants holes in them, she must decide if they want holes in them. And I'm hoping that our kids are learning that their bodies are their own. When I was thinking about this, I'm reminded about how many women in society have their bodies degraded, Uh, those skin boundaries stepped over because of the depravity of us as human beings, and so skin becomes a really powerful metaphor around boundaries and how we, particularly men, should not overstep some of those boundaries. We have no permission unless given uh, to step into those boundaries. Another really powerful boundary is words. Words create boundaries, right? Words create separation between me and you. And this is one of my favorite words that Pastor Lindy has given me permission to use. And you know what that word is? It is no. It's a great word Pastor Lindy taught me. It's like an English class. You should have had a blackboard up, Lindy, and say no is a full sentence. Whether stop, it's a full sentence. What's a full sentence? No, right? And when I say no, I mean no, right? It doesn't mean maybe, it doesn't mean sometime, no, it means no, right? And so we need to be clear about our yes and our no, right? No, that behavior is not acceptable. No, I will not participate in that. No to sin, no, is a wonderful word. And so words help us create these boundaries. Now, there's another couple of words that married couples have used. Remember your first day of marriage was well, not your first day of marriage, before you got married, you stood in an auditorium like this, you stood over here, the pastor pulled out some words, and then you said words to each other, right? Yeah. Beautiful words. And then you realize those words are really difficult to live outside of that moment, right? Like you're... you're like, um, I think Tony Campola once put it like this, you know, at the wedding day, she comes down, your knees are weak, she's the most amazing thing you've ever seen, she stands yeah, I love you for better or for worse, for ugly or for pretty, for rich or for poor, all of those wonderful things, and then three weeks after marriage, you wake up before your wife, and you look over her, and you go, oh, what did I marry? Like, her hair's in her eyes, and her breath is stinky, you look at the wedding photo next to you. <laughs> You look at the photo next to you, you're like, this "Is this the same person. Even worse yet, she wakes up before you do. You've got no hair, you've got no teeth. Um, it's, and, and then you realize, then you realize that these words are really important, right? And what we find is that when we stop stepping over these words, these promises we made to each other, that's when disaster begins to happen in marriages. It's when we start to step out of those boundaries that we set. For one another. And then we have children. And we come here and we dedicate our children in front of everybody in this room. And we make promises around how we will bring these children up and then we beat them to a pulp when we get home. And we step out of those boundaries and we wonder why our children are not operating the way they should. Because we're not adhering to the promises we made to people. We step out of those promises. And when we step out of these word promises, it becomes really difficult. There are truth promises and these truth promises, or barriers, talk about truth that God speaks about. And we can't go against those truths, right? And so, for example, when God says, I knit you in your mother's womb, or he says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, or that you are a precious prize, it gives me an understanding of how I should treat you. Because if I step out of that boundary, I begin to abuse you, because I don't realize you were knit in your mother's womb. And that I begin to understand those infallible truths. And so that becomes a a barrier that gets us to teach each other how we engage with one another. A good, Tamsin said to me this last night, a good friend doesn't allow spinach in your teeth. You know, doesn't allow you to walk around with spinach in your teeth. Right? So Pastor uh, Greg would not be a good friend if I greeted him this morning, I've got a big piece of spinach and he leaves it and me coming up here and I'm preaching, you laughing, but you're laughing at me, not at my jokes because he wasn't being a good friend. And so sometimes this truth boundary requires me and you to tell the truth about other people, about our friends and hold them accountable to those things. And then we have what we call geological distance barriers. Geographical ones. And we've become very familiar with them over the last year or two. Uh, social distancing. We step aside. We hold each other at a distance to protect one another, not because we hate each other. And so sometimes we need to step away, like physically away from somebody to protect ourselves, right? And so these distance barriers have become there to help us. Proverbs 22.3 says, The prudent see danger and take refuge. Sometimes we have to physically remove ourselves from danger. In fact, Jesus did this often. Throughout his ministry, what would he do? He would physically remove himself and go and rejuvenate his spirit, go and rejuvenate his soul, go and seek time with the Father by physically removing himself. And are we physically removing ourselves from places so that we can engage um, with the Father in a way that is healthy and, and wonderful? Geographical boundaries, we need to remove ourselves from situations that don't please God. And so in 1 Corinthians 5.11, verses 11 and 13, But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral, greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler. Do not even eat with such people." And so God is telling us that when people are engaging things that are not pleasing to him, we should remove ourselves from them. It's interesting that he says people who claim to be brothers and sisters, right? And so I'm not going to engage with Gregory's sexual immorality, his greed. That's why you sit in the front so I can pick on people, right? Being a swindler, drunkard, like I can't hang, I can't even have supper with him when he's doing that. But it's interesting that it makes a very clear distinction between people that claim to be brothers and sisters. So it means that if somebody's not a brother and sister, I can still be in that space, but I'm not there to enjoy that space. I'm there to redeem them out of that space, right? And so boundaries are very clear about how we should show up with one another and engage with one another. There are time boundaries that we need to be aware of, that um, we need to, for a time, separate ourselves from each other. I think about when you get married, You need to separate yourself from your parents for a time. I'm grateful that we moved to Cape Town when me and Tamsin got married. And after our first fight, um, there was no mom or dad or uncle or aunt to run to. It was just us. And we had to learn how to come up with our culture, how to be together as one. And so sometimes as adult children, it's really good for us to separate from our parents for for a time, not forever. Not advocating to leave them forever, but for a time so that you can walk into your own space. And so time boundaries are important. And then there are emotional distancing boundaries. Distance ourselves temporarily when we need safety from people. So don't always, because it can become dangerous if we socially distance ourselves emotionally for long periods of time is not healthy for us. But there are times we have to step away and get a fresh perspective on stuff and engage in those kind of things. And so those are examples of healthy boundaries in relationships. Skin boundaries, word boundaries, truth boundaries, geographical boundaries, time boundaries, emotional boundaries. So why are boundaries important? Like, so why are they so important? Judges 14, we pick up the story, verses 3 and 4. And Sam, Samson went down to Tamarim and saw a young Philistine woman there. He went back and told his father and mother, I've seen a young Philistine woman in Tamarim. Now get her for me as a wife. Hey, how he talks to his parents. Can you imagine you go to your parents and talk to them like that? We'll show you one time how to get there. Right? Anyway. <laughs> his father's far more gracious than I, and says, but his father and mother said, can't you find a young woman amongst your relatives or the people amongst us over here? Uh, And then he says, you must go to that. And then the parents say, you must go to the Philistines to find a wife. But Samson told his father, didn't even ask his father, told his father, get her for me. She is the right one for me. And so they went down to tomorrow with his father and mother, and they went across the vineyards to tomorrow. Suddenly, a young lion roared at them. We'll stop there. The story goes on a little bit more. Have you ever wondered why there are lions roaring at you in your life? Could it be that you've stepped outside of a boundary that you're not supposed to, and now all of a sudden are encountering lions you were never supposed to encounter? And so Samson would never have encountered that lion if he stayed within his boundaries, right? But he stepped out of those boundaries, and he found those those lions. So why are boundaries important? So one, um, they help differentiate what I'm responsible to and for, right? And so Samson was not responsible to his parents in any way, shape, or form. So when he, when he says he wants this prostitute, this Philistine woman for his wife, his parents tell him something, he's not responsible to them. He doesn't say like anything. He doesn't heed their warning, And then once he killed that lion, bees found a home in them. They made honey inside of them. And one day when he passes the lion, he takes the honey out and he gives it to his father. But he doesn't tell his father that it came from a carcass. Because if he told his father it came from a carcass, they wouldn't be allowed to eat it because it was in a dead animal. And so Samson is not responsible to his parents in any way. like He's helping them step out of those boundaries that they're not supposed to. Nor is he responsible for himself. When he says, get her for me, regardless of the consequences of what he's doing there, right? And so in Galatians 2.6, he says, each of us, Paul says, carry each other's burdens in a way that will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, burdens are like this really ugly box, right? Um, If I could put a rock inside, I would. Burdens are supposed to be heavy. They're big. They're cumbersome. I can't deal with this on my own. And, I, and, and so when you deal with this, you are responsible to me to help me deal with things that are beyond me. So that's what a burden is, right? You help me, and so that means responsible to. However, in Galatians, um, Galatians 6.5, each of us should carry our own load. That's not a load. These are loads. Your beliefs are a load, Your desires are related. And so me and you are responsible for these things, but we're responsible to those things, right? And so what the the, the Scripture says, it's almost like this I can fit into a a rucksack, my desires. I'm responsible for my desires. I'm responsible for my thoughts. I'm responsible for my behaviors. I'm responsible for my... Listen, I'm not responsible to sigh for this. I'm responsible for this. And these things all fit... Inside this, and I can carry this. Gregory's not supposed to carry this for me. I'm supposed to carry this. I'm responsible for this, but I'm responsible to that, right? And so boundaries help me understand what I'm responsible to and for. They're really important because sometimes we start carrying people's attitudes on their behalf. We were never called to do that. We're taking on things that are not ours to carry but when things are tough, absolutely have to sit in there. Now, I love going to the Pilansburg or any game park. I don't know how many of you enjoy doing that. And while we're driving around, I'm always up on the, out on the lookout for a kudu. Uh, Kudus are incredible creatures, hey? Those big, amazing horns. and Particularly when they give you that look like, take a photo of me now. Hey, don't they do that? I <laughs> oh, can't. And it's, not, it's not very quick. And if you don't, not quick, they'll just run off, right? They are magnificent. Can you imagine a kudu one day? decides I'm tired of the Pilansberg. Like these boundaries are just like not working for me. Like I've seen, like I've lived my whole life in the Pilansberg. I need to go and see uh, Rustenburg. Maybe I need to go visit Breed Taxi Rank. Imagine the kudu leaves. How long will a kudu last at uh, Breed Taxi Rank? (laughs) At Chisanyama, (laughs) eh? That's also also I can think. The moment that the the kudus are around you in Rosebank, we are saying... Biltong, Chisanyama, this thing is not going to last. That kudu is not going to last very long, right? Are you, are you with me? And so the very thing that was supposed to protect it, the moment it steps out of that, it becomes a really dangerous place for this kudu. How many of you and us are living outside of the boundaries? And we're wondering why things are tough for us, right? There are consequences when we step outside of those boundaries, Right? And our relationships, we said those promises to be faithful to my wife and my husband, and I've stepped out of that boundary. Uh, I said, uh, the Bible says we should live uh, married together, but we decided we want to live outside of that boundary. There's no consequences, and we'll see a little bit later that there are always consequences when you step outside of those boundaries, right? And so when we step out of the boundaries... We tend to lean on our own understanding because when we step out of there, we're no longer under the lordship of the Lord and we need to make our own way in this difficult and tough world that we find ourselves in. So we lean on our own understanding. We tend not to learn from our mistakes when we step out of the boundaries. And so we're all living in two kinds of ways. We're either falling away from the boundaries or we're falling towards the boundaries. I hope that we're failing towards boundaries rather than the other way around, right? And so we tend not to learn from our mistakes. We tend to be reactive, not proactive, when we're living outside of those boundaries, right? So think about that kudu. That kudu is being very reactive. It can't be proactive when its life has come after because it's going to land up on the chisanyama, right? So it's very reactive in terms of what it's doing. Are you living your life like that? Reactive in relationships? Reactive wherever you find yourself? Why? you've lived outside of those boundaries. You're no longer under the covering of the Father and you cannot be proactive when you engage engaging in those spaces. And you're easily defeated when you're living outside of those boundaries. Like we said, that kudu won't last a month. Inside the boundaries, it could last a long time. Now, inside the boundaries, are there lions? Yes. Are there leopards? Yes. Are there hunters? Yes. But the chances of evading the lion is far higher inside the boundaries than outside the boundaries, right? And so make sure that Everything will, will be defeated outside of the boundaries. Make sure we live in our relationships inside of those boundaries. Finally, we need to talk about boundaries are not meant to isolate. Another story about kudus is on a s- small game farm, uh, they noticed that kudus were dying, like one after another, and they would cut them up and do an autopsy. And they found that all the kudus had full bellies, but they were still dying from malnutrition. They couldn't understand it, so they did a little more testing on the farm. And what they realized was, um, when you visit a game farm or a, a national park, have you noticed how the bucks eat a little bit here, and then they eat a little bit there, and then they move on? And they're normally moving upwind. And I always thought they're moving upwind to avoid predators, but they're also moving upwind because when they eat on a tree, once they start chewing on a tree, a tree starts producing tannins. It's a way of making the tree bitter. I don't know if you've ever left a tea bag. In the cup for too long and you take a sip it becomes very bitter that's a tannin it becomes really bitter and the more they eat on the tree the more the tannin that the tree produces and the tree actually lets off a hormone that lets other trees know in its vicinity that it's been attacked and that they start producing tannins so that's why they move up upwind and so on this farm it was so small that the kudos were eating all the trees And the trees didn't have time to reproduce. And so they had heavy tannin. And so the trees had no nutrients in them. And so they were actually, you could eat as much as you want as a kudu. It wasn't actually fulfilling you. And so that is a danger when you and I create so many walls and that we don't have a gate to allow the bad in and the good in. And so what that farm needed was to open the gates to allow good nutrients in so that the kudus can be fed. How many of me and you... We've locked those gates. We're not allowing anything in or out. In fact, we only allow the bad in, and there's no space for the bad to get out. And so we've re-engineered the walls that we've put around us. And so Judges 16, verses 20 and 21, we pick up the story that Samson fell in love with Delilah, a Philistine prostitute, and she had been convinced by the local community that she needed to find out what Samson's strength, like what was the source of his strength, and uh, he, he told her a couple of lies, and eventually she's crying, and she said, tell me the truth. And he tells her about his hair. While he's sleeping, she cuts his hair. And so in the morning, this is where we pick up the story in verse 20. And then she cried, Samson, the Philistines are here. He awoke from his sleep, and he said, I will escape as I did before and shake myself free. But he did not realize that the Lord had left him. The Philistines seized him. Uh, ground his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, bound him with bronze shackles, and he was forced to ground weight for the rest of his life. This is so, it's a warning to you and I around a couple of things, around these walls and boundaries we've put around us. I will escape as I did before. Samson didn't know that anything was different. He went to sleep. And when he woke up, he didn't realize the Lord had left him. He had lived a life of compromise so long that he thought that it would never make a difference. How many of us are living outside the boundaries of relationships and we've been getting away with it for so long and we think we can do it tomorrow and things will be the same. I'm telling you, there will come a time when things will be different and you will be caught out for living outside of those boundaries. The chickens will come home to roost And then this was the most chilling words as I was preparing for the sermon. That stuck with me. He did not know that the Lord had left him. How many of us are sitting in this auditorium online and you have no idea that God has left you? And you don't want to realize that when you're bound up and the enemy's coming for you. You want to know that now so that you can make the appropriate adjustments because you don't want to wake up and realize that the Lord has left you. Some of us have built so many walls that we don't realize that we've actually blocked God out of the presence. And we, we've kept Him out. We've built so many walls that we've kept people out. And we don't realize. We've become so comfortable with the walls that we've built around us that we don't realize we've isolated ourselves. And then when, when that happens, the Philistines seized him ground his eyes out, and brought him down to Gaza, and bonded him up in bronze shackles. We have reversed function boundaries. Things that were meant to protect us are now the very things that are harming us. Which means that Revelation 3.20 needs to ring home for us this morning. Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him, and he with me. And so this morning, somebody is knocking at your door. The one that you've bound up and locked and said, I don't want anybody to come in. There's somebody knocking at their door. What is unique about this door it has only one handle. It is on inside of the door that the handle exists. And it is up to you to open the door, to allow the good in, so that you can allow the bad out. And so as we bring our time to an end this morning, three things to think about. We need to be big enough to admit that one, we either have unhealthy boundaries that we put in place and we've isolated ourselves, or we're right on the other side of the spectrum. We have no boundaries. We have no limits around how we treat people and engage with people. And so one, you need to be big enough to realize that. Second, we need to be courageous enough to take the steps to do something about these unhealthy barriers. We need to do something about it. We need to have the courage to do something about it. And thirdly, we need to be strong enough to take the steps to put some of those boundaries in place. And so let's pray today as we end our time together. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that you pursue us, Lord Father God. We want to thank you that you visited with us today in this auditorium or if people are online right now that you visited in their homes, Lord Father God. Father, let us not be those people that have become so accustomed to the walls that we've built around us that we realize that we've become isolated. We've kept you out, we've kept people out in the fear of being hurt, in the fear of being abused, and we no longer realize that we're alone. Father, if there's anybody like that in this auditorium today or online that has become isolated, Won't you intervene in their lives? Won't you kick that door down or let them open that door so that you can come in and sup with them that they may not be alone any longer? There might be people in this auditorium or online that are living lives with no boundaries, that are treating people terribly, that have become emotionally distant from everyone. Father, won't you call those people back into correct relationship with you? When we were on this Ghana mission, there was that door of no return. But the Ghanaians have put a new label on the door that when you turn back and look at it, it says the door of return. And there's a welcome back out of slavery into freedom. And so this morning, there might be some people that need to walk back and say, I'm walking back into this freedom. I'm walking back into this house as a child of God. And then there might be people in this room today that you've realized this morning that God is no longer with you. If that's you, don't you want to raise your hand? I want to pray with you this morning. If you're sitting here and you realize you're feeling that God is no longer with you, I want to pray with you this morning. I see a couple of hands going up in the auditorium. Is there anybody else? Father, I thank you for The couple of hands that have gone up in this auditorium. I pray that they will have a fresh encounter with you this morning. Father, that they will know that you want to sup with them. That you're knocking on the door of their heart. Won't you give them the courage to open that door so that you can be with them this morning, Lord Father God. That in their time of need, they won't realize that you're not there, but that you're right there with them. Father, I thank you for this awesome opportunity that we had to be in your presence this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen.